0: Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. Good morning. It's good to see you. If we haven't met, my name's Aaron, and I um, have the privilege of being the lead site pastor here at Hope South End. And uh, excited now to continue in worship by looking at God's Word together, something we do each and every week when we gather together uh, as the people of God. And if you've been with us, you know that we have been in a sermon series where we, for the last couple of months, where we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, so one of the four stories that uh, we have in the New Testament that tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ when He was here on earth. And uh, today we're going to be wrapping up chapter 2 and moving into the beginning of chapter 3. If you want to follow along, the passage that we're looking at today is printed in your bulletin. You can find it there. It'll be in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6, these two stories that go together about the Sabbath. And uh, so I'm going to read these for us and then pray, and we'll jump in and, and look at them together. So, hear now God's word to us this morning. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? And was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you calm our hearts now? Would you slow us down in this moment? Would you give us uh, an attentiveness to what you want to say to us? Uh, Lord, thank you for your word and the way it um, speaks to us where we are, the way that it uh, provides us with the words of life uh, that our souls are hungry and thirsty for. Um, Even today, as we look at these two stories together, would you bring them to life for us? And Lord, would you use them to minister to us wherever we are today? Whether we're in joy, in in a time of joy, or or more of a a time marked by pain, uh, would you meet us as the good and uh, loving God, the great physician and teacher that you are. And so come now, Holy Spirit, we ask as we look at this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I I don't know about you, but I do not like to be disruptive. It's just not me, um, not, based off how I'm wired, my personality. not something I like to do. I'll, I'll do it if I have to, um, but anytime I have to move into a situation where I've got to be the person who's being disruptive, it makes me very uncomfortable, and I could give you a lot of examples, but the one that came to mind right away was last year when we moved to our new neighborhood, to the, the house we're in now, and so we used movers. To make this move. And of course, they used a big moving truck they brought to our old house to load up and then uh, to bring to our new house to unload everything there. However, at our new house, we didn't, and we still don't have a driveway. It's just street parking only. And going into it, I was a little worried about how they were going to navigate that, but I figured they would do what you normally do in those situations, right? Park parallel to the house um, with the other cars. So, you know, cars can continue to pass through the road. Uh, but that's not what they did. Um, when they loaded up and drove the truck over to our new house, instead of parking the way I imagined, they backed the truck up directly uh, in front of the house so they could bring things just straight into the front door. But when, as they did that, it completely blocked the entire road both sides. So cars couldn't go either direction and, you know, they're unloading all of our stuff. So it was like this for several hours and it's a fairly busy uh, city street and y'all, I could not handle it. I mean, I was in a bad place. Uh, All I could think about the whole time was like us as these new neighbors were coming in so hot, like just disrupting everything on the street. I mean, it got so bad that I finally had to tell Sarah, like, I've got to leave. Like, like can, I, is there, can you give me a task at the, the old house? Can I go mop the floor again? I mean, I just, I just couldn't handle it. I don't like to be disruptive. And I know some of you out there are with me, you too, do don't like to be disruptive and maybe you're cringing as you hear that story and think about yourself being in that situation. But I also know there are those of you out there who don't mind being disruptive and, and maybe you even kind of like it. Uh, I don't understand that, but uh, it's great, right? It, it's important, um, certainly you can overdo it, but it's important to be willing and able to move in and be disruptive at certain times and in certain situations when it's necessary. And now, as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark together over the past few weeks, we've seen that Jesus is, is not someone who doesn't like to be disruptive. Now, he's always perfectly loving and perfectly balanced, so he never overdoes it. But we've seen that Jesus is more than willing to disrupt things when you could say he moves into the neighborhood of our life. And, and this is what we've seen over the past four weeks since the start of chapter 2. We've seen Jesus disrupt the way we think about forgiveness. In the first story we read at the beginning of chapter 2 where he heals a paralyzed man and tells us that he's the one who has the authority to forgive sins. We've seen Jesus disrupt the way we think about who he came for when he, called, when he calls Levi the tax collector telling us, I didn't come for the righteous, for the healthy, but I came uh, for the sick, for those who know they need a doctor. Then last week when Sid preached, we saw him disrupt the way we think about how he fits into our life when he was asked why his disciples don't fast like John the Baptist disciples did. And today we come to the last of these five straight disruptive or conflict stories, the last two of these, and we see Jesus continue to be disruptive, but this time in an even greater way than we've seen up to this point. As here in this story, we see that Jesus wants to disrupt the entire way we think about what it means to be in relationship with God. Because he wants to show us it's not about following a set of rules but it's about being in a relationship. A relationship that does impact everything about the way we live, but it's a relationship first of all. And whether you're a veteran here today or you're here trying to just, you're new and you're trying to soak everything in, this is a disruption you and I all need to be reminded what this King Jesus came to do and what it looks like for him to be in our life. And so this morning, let's let Jesus disrupt us. First, let's let him disrupt us by showing us the slavery and exhaustion of religion. And then second, let's let him disrupt us by inviting us either for the first time or maybe once again into the freedom and rest of the gospel. And so we're going to look at those two things here in our time. And let's start first with the slavery and exhaustion of religion. And I want to start by defining what I mean by religion, because Christianity is a religion after all, in a sense that it's a faith tradition and practice along with other world religions, and religion is actually a word the Bible itself uses. The uh, Apostle James uses the word religion, and so religion is not necessarily a bad word. But the way I'm using it in this point, and in, in, in this sermon, is broadly as a way of relating to God by doing and being good enough for Him. It's a it's a rules based, duty oriented approach, an approach that says if I do my duties. If I I obey God's laws and his commandments well enough, then he'll accept me. And there are all kinds of different forms of this, but that's how the religions of the world work. I need to know what I must do. Then I go and spend my whole life trying to do that so that I can earn a good standing with God. But from the beginning, what we see in the Bible is that's not how the God of the Bible relates to his people. And one of the examples I always love to use for this is in Deuteronomy 7, where Moses is preparing the second generation of Israelites coming out of Egypt to enter enter the promised land and to become the people that God's calling them to become. And there he reminds them this in Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 6, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Listen to this. It was not because you were more in number, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it's never been, do good enough and I'll accept you. This sort of rules-based religion. But over the years, this is the direction things have gone. And it's where things are when Jesus shows up here in our passage and has these two disruptive um, interactions with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. And for context, a little context on the Sabbath. So we still have the concept of the Sabbath today. It's one of the Ten Commandments God's given us, to honor one day out of every seven, to, to worship God, and to rest. It's still an important part of our life as the church and as the people of God. And we've actually preached on a couple of different sermons on it in the past year. But in our, our, first, in the, in our 21st century world, it's, it's nothing like it was here in the first century in terms of its cultural and natural, national importance. In my reading this week, every, every scholar I read talked about how big of a deal the Sabbath was for the Jewish people at the time and how along with circumcision, it was the national symbol of pride. It was one of the markers that set the Jewish people apart from the other nations. And so there was a real and, and good desire to uphold it. But the problem was these religious leaders, they'd taken something, something that was good, and they'd legislated it to the point that it had become a backbreaking burden with all these rules and regulations that God had actually never laid out in Scripture. For example, there was a certain number of steps they had created come up with that you could take on the Sabbath. So you could take 1,999 steps. That's a little over half a mile, no more. That's it on the Sabbath. They'd also come up with 39 different types of activity you couldn't do, including reaping grain. And you see in our story, the Pharisees getting on to Jesus for both of these things. Starting in verse 23, says one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees here, they kind of remind me of the observant neighbors in the new Geico commercial, if you've seen that one, where they dress up like um, this couple moves into this house, and their neighbors are wearing They're very observant and they're wearing, um, they look like sports commentators. They got microphones and they're commenting on everything. They're like, hey, we're back at the Sullivan house and it's lawn day and the leaves are really piling up, right? Or or the husband's shaving, they say, dry shave, interesting technique, that'll come back to haunt him. And it's obviously a joke, but there's something like you kind of feel that here, right? You you see the Pharisees' commitment to the rules and that they've positioned themselves where they can watch Jesus and what his friends do and and they can see are they going to break these rules or not there's such a vigilance there's such an anxiety you can feel and then you really see the fruit of this approach in the second story and what kind uh what the kind of religious uh, approach to God produces in your life And here Jesus is in the the synagogue on another Sabbath day. And again, they're watching him closely to see what he's going to do. And this time there's a man who's got a hand uh, that's disabled, that's paralyzed. And another Sabbath rule they'd made up was you could intervene if someone's life was in danger. But if it was a situation like this where it wasn't life-threatening, you couldn't help someone. So you had to wait until the Sabbath was over to be able to step in and, and do something that was helpful. But the irony here is the purpose of the Sabbath, the reason God gave this to his people was to bless them, was to refresh them, was to replenish them, to restore them, to bring healing, life, and flourishing exactly what this man needs here in this moment. And so that's why Jesus does what he does. That's why he calls him forward and that's why he heals him. But look at what kind of response this creates from the Pharisees. Looking on first, they can't even answer Jesus's question. Chapter three, verse three. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, "Come here." And he said to them, to the religious leaders, "Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill?" But they were silent. This, This should be an obvious answer, especially for people like them who know the scriptures like they do. But they can't. They can't even respond. They have no words. And then second, when Jesus does heal the man's hand and do what the Sabbath was meant to be about, they're furious. They're so furious, they begin to make a plan to kill him. Verse five tells us that Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. But then verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately they held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And the point is, this is what religion does. It creates hypervigilance. It creates constant awareness of the rules and how you're doing and how everyone else is doing compared to you. And most tragically, it produces a lack of love and awareness of God and others. It causes you to miss the very purpose of it all in the first place. It creates slavery and exhaustion, it creates bondage and burnout. And here's where it's, it's so important for you and I to take our eyes off the Pharisees we've been looking at and put them on ourselves. Because even though it's very different, circumstantially, we do the same thing. And we live the same kind of way. We create our own rules, our own laws, our own standards that we live by, that we judge ourselves by, that we judge others by. Like them, we create laws that are formally religious, In terms of having to do with how we practice our faith. And unlike them, for most of us, it's not really usually about the Sabbath. We're more on the other end of the spectrum, or we're trying to learn more about how to take the Sabbath seriously and and make it an important part of our life with God. But we have all kinds of other laws we make up. We have laws about how much we need to read our Bibles every day, laws about how much time we need to spend in prayer, laws about how much worship music we need to listen to each week as we're driving or or sermon podcasts, laws about how often we need to share our faith or what kind of entertainment we should or or should not consume. Uh, Specifically for us here at Hope, we can have laws, I think, about kind of how we carry ourselves and talk about our faith. Like we want to be a church where we have solid theology and and have a really good grasp of truth, but we also want to be chill about it. Like we don't, we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. We're the self-aware relational church, which, which is a great thing. But the problem is when you make that a law, I know I see in my own heart how that can sometimes cause me to judge people and especially other leaders when they don't talk about or think about uh, the gospel or act aspects of ministry in the exact same way that, that I do and that we do. And listen, it can be laws that have nothing to do with formal religion. I mean, you can create laws about literally anything. I mean, we, we create laws around our steps too. We're, just, we're not trying to limit them. We're trying to get as many as possible. All right, you can create laws about how healthy you should eat. Or you can create laws about uh, not being that obsessive with how you eat. You can create laws about social media engagement. Like, this is not enough, but this is too much. You can create laws about how many hours you need to put in. At work, or about um, how you could put in more hours at work, but you're going to choose not to because you're going to focus on more significant things. I mean, the possibility or the possibilities are endless. And I would encourage you to take some time today and, and the next few days to reflect on this for you and, and to ask yourself, "What does this look like for me? How, how do I do this? What are some of the laws that that I live by? That I judge myself by? That I judge others?" by what do I try to look to to find a sense of righteousness for myself? That is, what do I look to to try to prove to God, to myself and to the people around me that I'm okay, that I'm good enough? And whatever it is specifically for you, I would argue that more than our busy schedules and our our complex lives, this is the reason we're so exhausted, It's not just that we need another vacation, but it's because our hearts are restless because no amount of rule keeping and accomplishment is ever enough. And I love the way Thomas Merton once said it or got at this. He said that people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success. And as we just said, you can define success in so many different ways only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. This is what Jesus wants us, wants to disrupt us into seeing. The slavery and exhaustion of religion. But as deep as this runs, the good news is there's another way, and and this is the second way we need Jesus to disrupt us by inviting us out of the slavery and exhaustion of religion and into the freedom and rest of the gospel. And this is from Tim Keller, and it's what he's so masterful at explaining in so many of his books and sermons, but if religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted, the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. See, the gospel begins with acceptance. It begins with love. It begins with, with God's love. Going back to that Deuteronomy 7 passage, that's what God was saying to his people way back then. That's where it starts. Not with you and, and how well you obey, but it begins with me and my love for you. And do you see how different this is from the religious way we've been talking about that the Pharisees are showing us in this story? I mean, this is why when Jesus sees their response of silence to his question about what the Sabbath is about, he gets angry, but he's also grieved as he sees their hardness of heart. He, he loves them too, and he, wants, he also wants them to see like, what he came to give them. And you see the difference illustrated in the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples so the, the disciples who are with Jesus, who are in relationship with him, like they're so free. They're free to still honor the Sabbath, but not to make it about scorekeeping. They're free to walk around. And, and when they're hungry, they're free to pick grain because they know God cares most of all about them. And, and being hungry is a legitimate human need. See, on the day of rest, they're actually able to rest. And this is, this is what the gospel does when it comes in your life. Because the gospel says, you don't have to earn your way to God, but Jesus has already earned it for you. The gospel says, you don't have to acquire your relationship with God, but that Jesus has already done everything necessary to acquire it for you. And he gives it to you as a gift when you trust him. See, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus is is where you find true rest. The rest that the Sabbath day has always been about. And That's the point Jesus makes at the end of the first story, where he he gives this example of the great King David and his men uh, technically breaking a rule when they were hungry, but then he says this at the end. He says in verse 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And when Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, what he's saying is, I'm the one who made this up. Like, it's about me. I'm the one who's given this to you. And when I give it to you, yes, I'm telling you to rest. I'm telling you to take one day off every week to rest. But even that one day is pointing you to something deeper, to the deep soul rest you need, the kind of rest you can never find by trying to be good enough. But the kind of rest that comes when you know you are. And how does Jesus give us that kind of rest? Well, because he came to earth to do all the work we should have done. He obeyed the the law of God perfectly in every way. He was good enough in every sense of the word. And yet, after he'd done that, he went to the cross where he became restless, where he lost the acceptance with God he'd always had for us in our place so that we can rest knowing that in him we will always be accepted by God. Knowing that in Him, God can never love us anymore or any less. No matter how well we do, no matter how well we obey Him. See, the gospel brings freedom and rest in our lives because it says when you trust in Christ, the question, am I good enough, has been answered forever. You don't have to prove anything to God. and If you can believe it, you don't have to prove anything to yourself or for anybody else for that matter. Your whole life, you start and you live from the, this place of deep rest. I heard a pastor tell a story a few years ago that, that has always stuck with me. I actually think about it a lot. But he told this story of, of being a boy and playing in a, a little league baseball game. And uh, basically it was a situation where it was the very end of the game and he was, he was up to bat. And it was a situation where basically if he got a hit, They won. The game was over. They won. But if he struck out or got out, uh, they didn't. They would lose. And right before he went up to bat, his dad, who was actually one of the coaches, he kind of pulled him aside for a little pep talk. And his dad said to him, Hey, buddy, here's the deal. If you get a hit here and we win the game, we'll go get ice cream after this. But then here's what he said to him after that. He said, But if you strike out, and we lose, we'll still go get ice cream. And of course, he wanted his son to get a hit and win the game for his team, but most of all, he wanted him to know that he loved him. And that no matter how well he performed in that moment, it wasn't gonna change that. And do you know, that's the number one thing God wants us to know, the number one thing he wants you to know, that you are unconditionally loved, that you're accepted, that you're good enough in Christ, that you have nothing to prove. And nothing to lose he wants you to know that deep in your bones and he wants you to rest in that and live out of it and when you do that and you start from this place it changes everything about the way you then approach God's law and all the things he does tell you to do in his word like keeping the sabbath because instead of it being a duty that you have to perform to impress your skeptical father it becomes a gift it becomes a word of guidance from a father who loves you and who knows what you need and who wants you to flourish uh, in the life and in the calling that he's given you. And so you can receive them and, and start to put the things God commands you to do in his word into practice in your life for your good, for the good of your neighbors and for the glory of God. And it also allows us, starting from this place, to drop or at least begin the lifelong process of of dropping and shedding all of these laws that we make up and we live by. As the Holy Spirit makes us aware of them and brings them to mind, we can let them go. We can come back to Jesus and his cry of it is finished on the cross. Our lives can start to look a lot and feel a lot less like the Pharisees here and can start to look and feel more like the disciples in our story as they follow Jesus through the grain fields at rest and the peace of his presence. We need Jesus to disrupt us. The truth is sometimes we need him to block the road of our life so that we have to go another way so that we can get off the road of religion that comes so natural to us that we're so often on and on or back on to the gospel road once again. And I know I'm thankful that that by his Holy Spirit, through his word, and through one another, he will. That's what he's doing. That's what he does. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you um, for this word. Thank you for this passage and the reminder that this is who you are, that you didn't come to give us uh, 10 ways to live that we have to follow in order to gain acceptance with God. Uh, but you came to do everything necessary for us so that we would be accepted and can live from that place of deep rest and freedom. I pray that you would help us uh, to do that today. And uh, thank you again um, for the chance to come together and be reminded of what often doesn't come natural to us, but uh, is the truth we long to hear. So we pray all this, Jesus, in your name, amen.